Romans chapter 1, and we'll be reading together the verses 7 to 23, focusing especially on verses 20 to 21 in connection with the Lord's Day that we'll be looking at today, Lord's Day 25 of our Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the sacraments. Romans 1, beginning at verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing the direction of the Holy Spirit. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and forfeited animals, and creeping things. So far. Now read together also from Lord's Day 25 of our Heidelberg Catechism, and you can find that on page 539 of your Book of Praise. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God 
so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and holy supper. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's a difficult thing when you come into a different country and you don't understand the language. This can especially be true if there is nobody else around you who seems to understand your language either. A moment of panic can set in. And this is even more true if you need something from them. Perhaps some of you have experienced this in part, maybe traveling across Canada, traveling through Quebec, and then you pull into a restaurant in the parking lot, and maybe you know a few words here and there of French, you know a few basics, but you walk into this restaurant, and you're looking for food, and you're hungry, and then suddenly a torrent of French comes your way. And you feel that sinking moment of panic because you have absolutely no idea what was just spoken to you. The French that you learned is apparently not going to cut it. What a relief it is and what a kindness it is when they look at you and they see the panicked expression on your face and then they smile and they switch over into English. For you parents, you maybe have experienced something similar with your children. When you are trying to get something across to them, and the first moment that you are speaking with them, they look at you and it becomes clear that they have no clue of what you're speaking about. What a relief and what a kindness it is for them when you slow down and you break it down for them piece by piece and you take them through the various steps of what they need to do. Today, we see something very similar coming to the forefront. As we look at God's word today and as we reflect on the sacraments today, we reflect on this theme, that our God gives us pictures of redemption. And we'll see, first of all, why we are given these pictures. Second, God's pictures in history. And third, what God's pictures point to. In the first place, why we are given these pictures. When we opened up the letter to the Romans, 
the beginning part of the passage that we read was the Apostle Paul speaking to the people in Rome. And he talked about how he really longed to be there with them. He longed to be there with them and spend time with them because he truly loved them for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And his heart is especially deeply longing for them because he wants the opportunity to advance the gospel. He wants to advance the power of the kingdom of God in Rome around them as well. He reminds them of how knowledge for them came before faith. He reminds them of how he came to them and he taught them how before they were among, there were among them Greeks and barbarians. There were, there were Jews who didn't know anything. And he came to them and he shared them the gospel. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. As he explained things to them, as he came to them and he started to preach the gospel to them, he was able to preach boldly because he knew that the gospel was true and he knew that the gospel was the power of salvation and he could see this power as it unfolded before his very eyes. He could see this wherever he went and he looked forward to seeing this among them as well. They themselves had experienced it with a different preacher at this point in time. But as he preaches the gospel to people who are around him, the pieces of the puzzle fall into place. Dots are connected, and understanding what they hear by the power of the Spirit, they are brought to faith. And so the just live by faith. This faith that is worked in their hearts brings life. You can see a similar pattern following before with Peter when he is preaching to a crowd of just Jews at Pentecost as well. He is reaching out to them. The Holy Spirit has just fallen on everybody and he's reaching out to them. And he's busy explaining their history section by section to them. He goes through the entire history of the nation, everything that they knew, everything that they held dear. And then he brings in new information to it all. He looks at all of that through the lens of Jesus Christ. And again, puzzles begin, the puzzle pieces begin to fall into place. The dots are connected. And on hearing, they're brought to faith. There's a problem, though. This is what the Apostle Paul points to further on in his passage here. And the problem is this, that not everybody who hears the gospel responds to it. Not everybody who hears the gospel believes. 
This problem is our human weakness. This problem is sin. In theological language, they speak of the noetic effects of sin. Noetic is referring to what we find in Romans 1 verse 21, how the foolish hearts of people are darkened. Mankind is fallen, and although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the situation in which all of creation and all of humanity find themselves. You see this described in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it shows us that the entire world was covered in darkness, and this is the state of mankind ever since the fall into sin. The entire world was covered in darkness, and the light had to shine in that darkness. But that darkness still clouds so much. It clouds our thinking And sin can even cloud the thinking of believing Christians. This is what that word refers to when we speak of the noetic effects of sin. For you boys and girls, you can maybe compare it to driving with your parents through fog. Have you ever done that? You've been in the car and you've been driving along with your parents and the fog just gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And at first you can see a long ways and then nearer and nearer and nearer comes the fog until suddenly you can't see much of anything at all. Or maybe as the sun goes down and things begin to get darker and darker and darker and you can't see anything beyond that. This is the darkness that is on the world, the darkness that's in our minds, the darkness that that clouds our thinking. Now, creation declares the glory of God. We know this when we look in the Psalms. Many of you know that Psalm where it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day pours forth speech today. Night after night displays knowledge. All people around the world, they should be able to see and should be able to know because it's so clear when we look out there that this must have been created. That this intricate and beautiful world must have been put together somehow and not just come together in random course. But the thing is that that fog presses in darker and darker And people, when they look at the world, their minds can't look that far. Their minds are stopped from being able to see that far because sin makes everything dark for them. And so they don't believe. And it's in the midst of this that God comes down. That light enters into the world. The light has shone in the darkness. In our confessions, we speak about this as God's condescension. Now, for us who are a little bit older, we might understand condescension as being a way in which we talk 
down to people. And we kind of look down on them and it's pat, pat. Oh, you're a good little boy. But that's not what's meant here. If you break it down, the word condescension, con at its root means with, and descend means to come down. To come down to be with mankind, to explain things to mankind. When we read, we read this in Belgian Confession, Article 33, we believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity, that means our unab- unwilling, uh, unableness to be able to see and sense the things of this world, and our weakness, has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses both what he declares to us in his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts. Represent better to our external senses. What they, what they mean by this is that we know things with our mind and we perhaps understand things with our mind. But our God comes down to our level and he represents things better to the th- things that we can see and to our sense of taste, to our sense of touch, to our sense of hearing. Through this, we can better see and we can better understand the promises of the gospel. This is a picture of grace to us who are weak. This world is a dark dark place in so many ways. And our minds are so often clouded by sin and clouded by misunderstanding, but God leads us along these paths. And he shows grace to us who are weak so that when we shake and when we tremble, wondering if the truth of the gospel actually applies to us, we can be assured once again. In the second place, it also provokes jealousy and faith in those who observe but don't believe. As they see the sacraments play out before their eyes, they are brought to a conviction of sin. As they see the seriousness of the participants who go up and they take part in the bread and wine, and they see the desire of these people to stand in rightness before God through Jesus Christ, they themselves are also able to be convicted and to be reached often in a unique way. This is why we're given these pictures, so that the light shines in the darkness. This brings us to our second point, God's pictures in history. Now, to a certain extent, all of Scripture, all of God's Word is God's condescension. God coming down to our level and coming to explain in our level. We could have had it that God came to us and just left us with words like those we find in Belgian Confession Article 1. That he is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, Perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. He could have just had all of those titles slapped on a plaque, placed there for us to see, and left it at that. 
But the thing is that God in his grace chose not to leave us in that way. We understand who God is, his faithfulness, his justice, and his mercy, because he tells us about these things. But he also shows us these things in history. God shows us his faithfulness and his kindness towards us when we look back all the way at the beginning to Adam and Eve. How when they fell in the Garden of Eden, they fell into sin and through their actions they rejected God and they cut themselves off from God. God showed his kindness in that he came down to them and that he promised his grace to them. Then as we look further on in history, we see God's kindness to Abraham as he picks him out of all the nations and as he faithfully walks by his side, leading him every step of the way. God shows his faithfulness here. Again, when we see the judges in history going through that cycle time and time again of going astray, God shows his justice in that he allows the nations to come on them. He withdraws his hand of protective care and they get to feel the natural consequences of their actions. But not only does he show his justice there, he shows his faithfulness in time and time again. When they call on him for mercy, he steps in. He shows his mercy and his love to his people again and again and again. His promises have their reality in history. His promises give great comfort to us in history. And that's especially the case when it comes to us reading about Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ goes up on that cross, as we read about him suffering and dying for us. All of Scripture is God's condescension in that way. But the thing is that when we see it and we look at other people experiencing these things, it still hits us in a different way. There can still be so often that nagging feeling of, yes, that's true for others, but is that also true for me? Does God actually care for me? Has God actually forgiven my sins? Now, we have to be clear that the preaching of the gospel is a That's something that we confess in question and answer 65. The Holy Spirit works his faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. But where we are weak and frail, God shows his grace in this, that he strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. To have these things that we can hold on to, to have these things that we can taste, that we can touch, that we can see, that we can hear about, that we ourselves can hold on to, brings it home to us in a special way. We read in Lord's Day 7, what is true faith? And the answer there is true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. But at the same time, it's a firm confidence that it's not only for others, but also for me. God has given us the sacraments to drive that fact home that it's not only others, but it's also for me. 
They are holy, visible signs and seals given to us so that their use, by their use, he might more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is for us. Use these pictures, loved ones, when you are explaining the gospel to your children. Use them to speak about the grace of God. Remind them of the baptism that they underwent. And as they look forward to the day when they can take part in that, remind them again that as they take part in that in faith, and as they feel it in their hands, then they can be reminded again that, yes, this is not just for others, but this is also for me. Use this to encourage them to yearn for the sacraments and for yourselves to yearn for the sacraments, to eagerly look forward to when you can take part in the sacraments again. Keep the basics displayed in mind, that constant reminder that God has graciously granted us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished for us at the forefront as we gain strength and courage from this. This brings us to our third point. God's pictures point to Christ's redeeming work. That's exactly it too, isn't it? That God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished for us on the cross. That is the heart and soul of the sacraments. And that is why Christ instituted these two sacraments specifically. You might see in the Gospels, as you work your way through the Gospels, that Christ, while on earth, did grace a wedding. While Christ on earth did call men to office, he did call for repentance. Yet even so, he only instituted as a reminder these two things. Two sacraments, holy baptism and the holy supper. The first of them we can read about in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in the second place, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29, but especially the verses 24 to 25, when it's speaking about Jesus Christ instituting the Lord's Supper, it says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat of it and drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. These are the main points of the sacraments again. These are what we are called to time and time again. The main point is Christ. For us, in our weakness and in our insensitivity, as the Bell's Confession described it, we can have it so often that 
we come to church and that we go through our lives and our minds are still weighed under the clouds of sin. Thinking back on our sins, we can feel very strongly at the forefront of our hearts this struggle. I'm just not a good enough person to do this myself. I can't do this. Can I stand as righteous before God? But the point here that's driven home time and time again by the sacraments, by these two sacraments in particular, is that truth again. Yes, I can't do it by myself. But this is why Jesus Christ has done it for me. Each time as I see the Lord's Supper table laid out before me, I confess my own sin and I confess my own brokenness and I confess the fact that I cannot do this by myself. I confess the fact that my mind is so clouded by sin so often that even walking along the right road, I constantly need God's input and God's guidance. I need God for everything, every step of the way. And then as we come and we take part and we pick up those elements, the bread and the wine, then we confess, yes, Christ has saved me. It is finished. It is done. And then we go out rejoicing, living in thankfulness. But in all of that, as we come forward, we have to remember to take care to use these sacraments properly. Because that is the point of these sacraments. Again, God's pictures point to Christ's redeeming work. If we come to them and we take them out of, as our our form for baptism mentioned, we do them out of custom or superstition, then we are missing the strength that is there. We are missing the nourishment that is there. We are missing the comfort that Christ's redeeming work offers us. But as we take part in it in faith, we see the purpose. A clear understanding of God's word as the path to assurance and comfort. These sacraments highlight for us God's word. God's word has as its center Christ's work. And so in the darkness, when it's clouding in on us, we have the comfort of that history. We have the comfort of the sacraments. And now we can point to the work of Christ that is already done. So loved ones, let's take part in faith and let's be encouraged. Let's continue to step out in faith to hold fast to the fact that yes, Christ has forgiven me and these sins and iniquities drag me down no more. Let us take comfort and praise God that by his sacraments we are all the more strengthened and assured that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Amen.